starving. <laughs> Me too. Beans, greens, tomatoes. <sighs> you name it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take some temperature. Okay. Describe how we feel on today as if we were a plate of soul food. Mm. I'm hungry. Me too. So I'm so hungry. I need some greens. Mm-hmm. But I need my granny's greens. You know, everybody can't make greens. Mm-hmm. And what greens do to your soul, right? I'm ready. Is it provides the necessary nutrients on the plate. <laughs> when did you become 72 years old? <laughs> because the rest of this stuff on this plate <laughs> this is as good as it's going to get. Because I'm going to need some yam. Like, I'm feeling like some yams, right? Like, I, I have energy when I'm with you. Like, they just give me that little sweetness that I need, right? Like, so I'm feeling that right now. But yams, not sweet not sweet potatoes. No, there needs to be some yams. Okay. Sweet potatoes is fine. But I'm right now, I'm feeling the yams. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get some flack for this. I love potato salad. And I love blackity black potato salad. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother makes the most, like, every time I'm home, no matter what the meal is... <laughs> I'm having like she fixes me potato salad. I prefer potato salad over macaroni and cheese. Me too. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Kindred spirit. <laughs> I know. I like some people gonna want to fight us. I for think this. we just lost twenty thousand. I and I people. and I feel it and I understand it. I've just never been a cheese person. Mm-hmm. Now they're like Aja Holmes. Shout out to Aja Holmes. Hey. Aja Holmes makes a macaroni and cheese that I absolutely love. She ain't share it though. Oh, she. You gotta have some. Aja. You, you gotta have some. But I'm just not a cheese person. Like, like there, y'all, y'all know what I'm saying. But <laughs> even though I was a little kid, like, I did not like the cheese. I just not like cheese. Okay. But, like, the most perfectly fried, crispy fried chicken is how I feel right now. Mm. And I need that in my life. I'm really calm. I'm nice and golden and, and crisp with the moist, the moist, juicy <laughs> meat, the seasoning to perfection. The batter of the chicken is very important that oftentimes is second thought. Mm. Mm. Starving. Do you use hot sauce on your greens? Do I use hot sauce on my greens? No, I do not. Greens prepared appropriately should not need hot sauce because they use a little red chili flake to get that little kick that it needs. Mm. I think I just like the flavor of hot sauce. <laughs> you put on anything. <laughs> not anything, but I specifically eat greens to eat the hot sauce. Interesting. That sounds like a real Detroit rat. Thank you. <laughs> West Side. Which hot sauce? Oh, which, which the... Frank's. That's it. No. I, Absolutely. I, in a pinch, not. I'll do Louisiana. In a pinch? In a pinch. That's where you start. A little pinch. No. I would do crystals Frank's. before I do Frank. I put that shit on everything. Like Frank's, the old though. lady said. Yeah. Yeah. It's delicious. With some better made chips. Ugh, these little Fago. Detroit rat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me a little Fago and some, some Franks. Uh, okay. So shout out to Dr. McKinnis. She works in the Davis Center with me. And she's been on this whole 30 kick forever. And was really, really cool about sharing it with the staff and talking about ways in which we could be thinking differently about our eating habits. I ain't do the shit, but I appreciate her for doing it. And so today, on today, in honor of Tatiana, uh, I would be, y'all ready? <clears throat> A vegan pot pie with cornbread crust. A paleo fried pickle. Vegan fried green tomato sandwich. The driest vegan macaroni and cheese you can find with cashew cheese. Vegan Hoppin' John. Vegan gumbo. 
and it will be like the most insignificant amount of gumbo you could find, but you'll feel healthy. What the <laughs> hell is vegan gumbo? Shit, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, okay, okay. According according to Britain Company, I don't even know really quite what this is because I'm not vegan, but I'll I'll give it a try here and there. When I'm in New York, I'll go to vegan fast food restaurants and they're actually pretty cool. But you can get down home comfort in vegan soul food recipes. And so um, a vegan gumbo is an amalgamation of spices, flavor, and twigs. We should do a vegan challenge. We should. I would I would be really good at it. I'm really good at it. I can actually make really good vegan food. I just don't. <laughs> I, I mean, to your point about the juicy fried chicken, <laughs> ain't nothing like it. <laughs> we should we should think about that. Maybe that'd be a May challenge. Okay, let's do it. But okay. today, you know, I'm trying to be a snack, so I have all these vegan recipes out here today. I love it. That's 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 my plate. That's who I am today. Okay, hmm. I feel you. Okay, come on, mood. That's a it's a mood. That's a mood. Okay, that's- a snack. All right. Let's jump to the show. So in this episode of Scholar Tea, we need to catch up. We haven't seen each other in, in a while. Mm-mm. People have been in those conference streets mm-hmm. and I've been gallivanting across the country. We have a wonderful interview with Robert Brown. Someone asked us, like, are we only interviewing faculty? And I'm like, no, there's other forms of scholars out there. I'm so excited to talk to to Robert Brown. Shauna, of course, is going to highlight our Scholar of the Week. We have a little tea to always spill. Um, We are doing a special edition this episode, the AERA Conference Edition, where Shauna has been in those conference streets getting some reactions and responses. So we're going to hear those. Y'all a little shy, though. (laughs) And then, of course, something has been problematic on on my heart, and we need to talk about it. So I want to highlight when people are out here giving that unsolicited professional and personal Mm. advice. And then your secret sauce. My jokes. Jokes of the week. Keep the people coming back for more. And we have some snaps for some people. So should we get into it? Please, let's. So if y'all didn't know, if you're not following Cameron, he went to Beachella. Am I saying it right? Beachella? It's Beachella. Beachella. Yeah. You're not in the hive, are you? I'm not. I don't. I don't like bees. I'm allergic. They sting you, honey. So They do sting, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Come for me if you want to. Beachella. All right. So Cameron went to Beachella. I did. I did. So I am not an outdoor music festival person. That is not my scene. That is not my vibe. I don't find excitement in large crowds like that. But this was an impulsive decision. This was like, hey, live your best life 2018, the year of answers. Um, So I was like, okay, let's do this. I have to say it was an enjoyable experience. It? It was an experience that I think people should have. Would not have went if it was not for Beyonce, Giselle, Knowles, Carter as the headliner. <laughs> um, I probably would not have entertained it, um, but I did entertain it for that reason. Uh-huh. And it was it was an experience. The vibe of Coachella is everything you picture on the social medias. Stinky, but no, nah. it looks it looks hot and messy, and it looks like people... I mean that is there. Okay, but if you're if you're enjoying it the way you need to enjoy it, Drunk. that is. Yes. Most people are drunk or high. I will say that. Okay. But it's like a vibe. It's a real chill vibe. Like it is a real chill vibe. The field where the Coachella Valley, where they host the festival, is so large that it never did feel overwhelming until it was like, oh, everybody's watching Beyonce, right? Those were the only times I was like, okay, this is a lot. Folks are just living their best lives. Mm -hmm. I really 
like the the style and the fashion of everybody like expressing. That was fun. I did a little experimenting with some outfits. They um, were so cute. Oh, thanks. And thanks. I I do like the the images that I do see mm-hmm. captured. Like I I do like. People. I feel like people get to show their kind of personality, mm-hmm. right? And there's no judgment. Um, it's very bo- body positive, mm-hmm. um, which I also appreciate. Your body was positive. Oh, thank you. It was beautiful. Thank you. You know, I'm a skinny dude, so like mm. I get a little self-conscious about things. But no, I was like, great. living my best life. Of course, I'm sure you all streamed the the Beachella. That was my sixth time seeing her live. And she has always, always outdone herself. And this was her best work to me. That woman went for an hour and 47 minutes mm. and gave you a full out, full performance. And I think what topped it off was like, she ends it with a ballad. She danced full out. She didn't give you like, okay, they gonna do the eight count. I'm gonna do the four count. Like she danced full out the entire time. So one thing that I was like, I told my friend, I was like, if this happens, I'm going to pass out. It did not happen, but I wanted it to happen. What, what do you think I wanted to happen during her performance? Uh, okay, I'm thinking children or I'm thinking uh, Big Frida or... I wanted Latavia and Latoya <laughs> to come on that stage. <laughs> that would have ended it for me. That would have... Mm, would they have left alive anyone... <laughs> Would, they would have all been dead. And I mean, Dusty's Child was amazing, but uh-huh. like there were rumors out there that they were going to reunite. So I was just hyped, you know. Okay. But I was like, oh, she she could just set it over the top. I if, forgot about them. If if they if they came out jumping, jumping, <laughs> ladies, leave your man at home, okay? No. Our little bills, bills, bills. Whew, uh, that would have that would have took it over the top for me. The next morning, you know, I was just watching the videos over and over again. I recorded some videos. People were saying on social media, like, why was the audience so, like, dead? Like, why was the audience, like, not... I'm at home, like, going full out. Why is the audience not as hype as me? So, number one, I kept leaning over to my friend, like, my section, we were hype. But, like, they did not... It was She did so much, like, with the homecoming culture, the HBCU culture, Greek life, the marching band, like... She did so much. It was stimulation overload, number one. And then people didn't get the context, number two. The other thing was, like, when she did that lift every voice and sing, I said, oh, the people don't even know what's happening right Uh now. She went to freedom to lift every voice. The other thing is, is that it was overwhelming to the point of, like, it wasn't that people were not hype. It was, like, they were in amazement and awe of what she was doing because for a music festival you don't do no damn runway Mm -hmm. at a music festival you don't have no hundred person marching band she took it to a level that no one had done i don't think at coachella before the black national anthem has never been at coachella um i'm gonna look that up but no i don't i don't think i don't think yeah i don't think lady gaga was, was busting those lyrics last year but i will say this if you get the chance to experience Coachella with an amazing headliner, it is an experience for the bucket list. If you need another bullet point for your bucket list, I am an advocate. I can do a commercial for you. I say do it. Checked off mine. The really cool thing about your experience is that Coachella has been running strong for the past 19 years, and Beyonce is the first black woman headliner, right? And Ain't I, that about a bitch. <laughs> well, yeah. It's been 19 years. It's 2018, first black woman to headline this event. And I'll admit, I'm not completely in the hive. You could fight me. I'm not, but... Can y'all put bees in her comments? <laughs> <laughs> Don't sting me. I might die. But I have uh, really admired the work she's put out there these past five years. And she might have won me over with her most recent charitable contribution. And recently, Beyonce has been reported to have donated $100,000 to Zula. 
Xavier University of Louisiana, the first private HBCU in the U.S., Wilberforce University, Tuskegee University, which was the HBCU that was established by Booker T. Washington, and Bethune-Cookman University, an HBCU established by Mary McLeod Bethune. All of this was done through her Be Good initiative. And I think there's so much to unpack here. Not only did Beyonce give us the blackest headliner performance of all time at Beachella, but she's also demonstrated the importance of giving back to the very communities known to nurture and support black folks the most. And in this case, it was HBCUs. And so the New York Times recently published an op-ed written by Miles Johnson titled Beyonce in the End of Respectability Politics. Go read it. Go read it now. Miles suggests that Beyonce's song selection, style of dress, and amalgamation of sexuality and intellect push the respectability envelope as the confluence of these pieces were brought to the fore with a predominantly white audience. In addition to singing the Black National Anthem, Karen. Karen, that's the the song Lift Every Voice and Sing, okay? You should Google that, Karen, the Black National Anthem. <laughs> Karen listening right now, eating her potato salad <laughs> right. with raisins. Oh, take out the celery. Beyonce also repeated Malcolm X's sentiments on the ways black women are treated and perceived. And finally, Beyonce featured the talents of several musicians connected with HBCU bands, including FAMU, Hampton University, and Prairie View, A&M University, in addition to paying tribute to black Greek-lettered organizations. So Cameron, you were there in person. Can you describe what it felt like to be surrounded by these aspects of black symbolisms that are definitely prevalent amongst HBCUs? For me, it was just a point of pride, but it was also thinking about how intentional she was, mm. right? Like, I have not always been a stan of hers. I've not always been in the hive. Okay. So, like, when she kicked them girls out the group in the early 2000s, uh-huh. and it was her and Matthew Knowles, I was not there for her. Even when, when B-Day came out, when Dangerously in Love, I was like, oh, she can sing. Oh, she's mm-hmm. a good entertainer. But I'm not about to fight her or fight her battles. Mm-mm. I did not become a stan of hers until around four, um, and then she had Blue, and then she did um, Atlantic City weekend, you know, four-night um, show. So there's a YouTube, please go watch this okay. for me. Please go watch this. There's a YouTube behind-the-scenes documentary of her process of preparing for that show. Beyonce is involved in all aspects of it. So she makes the decision from the lighting to the way the stage looks. She's basically directing. She is inputting the choreography, the the chords of the music, the mix, the way she mixes in her songs. She's the decision maker in all of that. So now I was like, okay, this woman has a work ethic. Mm. She's intentional about the decisions she makes and what she puts out. And for me, for her to choose that time and that space to be intentional about the representation of higher education, of historically black colleges and universities, that performance was not for anybody in that Coachella audience. Mm -hmm. That performance was for the culture. It was for those streaming. It was for her thinking about representation and what it means for her children. That's what I appreciate. Like to me, it was about the representation and for her to be at that stage in her career to be like, this is what it's going to be. Coachella was like, okay, girl, you know, and she and she's at that status where you are going to trust because she has all the receipts and to use her receipts for that proof of purchase. I just, I was just standing there proud, like yeah. couldn't believe I was experiencing it. No, she's totally winning me over. I started to get there with her with the Beyonce album. It was just self-titled, right? Mm-hmm. Lemonade. 
Oh yeah. I think Lemonade did it for me. I have actually wanted her to win this whole time, regardless of what I have said out loud and how people interpreted it. I wanted her to win and I wanted her to grow with me mm-hmm. as someone who we're the same age, right? So I'm progressing, I'm growing as an individual, not as an artist. I can't imagine what that might be like to do that out loud and in, in front of so many people. But I felt like she was allowing the industry for a while to set the stage for how she would be portrayed in terms of an artist in the lyrics that she would put out there they just felt very young to me at the stages in life that we were at and mm. I, I was like no I'm not in the club I'm, I'm not you know I'm not but Lemonade got me I was like oh she she's really growing into herself and I, I feel like I'm starting to see that in not just how she represents herself but her music and I'm appreciating her more I'm glad she's representing us in the culture in the ways that she's choosing to I think it's phenomenal Thanks for emailing us. Thanks for joining us out on Twitter. ScholarT2018 at gmail.com. Okay, so let's move on to Scholars of the Week. This week, we want to highlight the work of collective scholarship and counter spaces of support for black women in the academy. And when we say black women, we mean black women who identify. We're talking about folks who are trans. We're talking about folks who are cis. Like if you are black and you feel like you're a woman, that's who we're talking about. And with this in mind, we wish to highlight Sida Sista and Sisters of the Academy. These spaces provide opportunities both virtually and physically for black women to name, honor, and find support in their power as scholars working to disrupt the narrative of what a scholar is and can be. Find Sida Sista on Twitter and engage with them through their monthly tweet-ups. Sisters of the Academy also conducts a research boot camp every other summer when we're not researching on the shores of the Tallahassee River. (laughs) Um, We're also meeting to conduct uh, research writing retreats as well as grantsmanship workshops. So please, Sida Sista today. Time for an interview? Yes. Let's chat with Robert Brown. All right. Today, we have soon-to-be Dr. Rob Brown with us. Hello, Rob. Welcome to the Scholar Tea, Rob. (laughs) So excited to be here. How are y'all doing? (laughs) Good. Um, Tell the people who you are. My name is Rob Brown. Uh, My gender pronouns are he, him, and his. Um, And I am currently uh, based in the best city, in the world, Chicago, Illinois, Shauna. Um, oh, and he listens to the podcast. I listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, too much shade being thrown at our wonderful city. Um, and I currently work at Northwestern University and serve as the director of social justice education here, um, where I work with a team of uh, professional staff and student staff, uh, social justice educators. We run uh, intergroup dialogue programs, trainings and workshops, and affinity space uh, programming in our work that is fun most days, uh, challenging some days, and uh, liberating a few days <laughs> on the best days. I have a wonderful partner who's also uh, in higher ed and student affairs, and we've kind of carved out, I think, a good life uh, here in our still fairly new city. Uh, we moved back home to Chicago about two years ago now with our adorable dog. And yeah, that's a little bit about me. I'm originally from here. Um, so it's been nice to be back and 
uh, be able to reconnect with family and have a much better sense of uh, kind of just feeling whole, both as a person and as a professional, um, which I have found to be uh, immensely transformative um, in the way that I do my work, um, but also just the way in which I live my life. Um, and then, uh, thanks for the Dr. Rob Brown shout out, and I'll be uh, <laughs> starting my PhD soon at Colorado State in their higher ed leadership program uh, this this July. Yeah, yeah that's uh, it's very exciting. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So thinking about what you said in terms of being holistic, I have to preface this. I call Rob's family the Black Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> I know she showed me the question. I was like, girl, what does this mean? That is so funny. <laughs> because it's an amazing family. They're warm. They're beautiful. And I think they run about half this country. <laughs> and so <laughs> talk to us about what it's like to be surrounded by the black mafia or to better phrase it, a very supportive family. Black excellence. Black excellence. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, my family. So my family definitely has some black mafia tendencies. Um, and you know, it ain't all sweet. You know, we got our stuff too, um, that we struggle through, but I absolutely adore, adore my family. So I, you know, I was raised here in Chicago and, um, what I describe as an immensely proud black family, very large family and predominantly raised by my mother's side, so her parents and um, siblings and then kind of aunts and uncles from there. And, you know, it's the Black Mafia, so, you know, I have uh, 10 cousins, um, most of whom were raised on the south side of Chicago. Every single one of us has graduated from college. Um, and that's just not something you find very often. And so much of that has to do with just the value set that we were we were raised with, where um, education wasn't an option. Um, it was a requirement and even more importantly, a responsibility um, that we do something with our education. I think they were very empowering. So I remember like at a very young age, pretty much all of us learned the like, hey, black child uh, poem and kind of got those initial um, messages that kind of taught us that, you know, we could be anything we wanted to be. And um, we were a strong people and resilient. I think I definitely didn't know um, what they were doing at the time. But now that I reflect back, so much of that got internalized within us pretty early on uh, that I think didn't erase the ways in which we would navigate this world, but it let us know that we weren't alone in it. And I think that's something that I think shows up for me just in my life every day now. But, you know, the mafia dynamic is weird. So, you know, my parents, both my grandparents went to HBCU, Xavier in New Orleans, and uh, met there and came up to Chicago, like through the Great Migration, uh, worked and paid his way through optometry school. And then became an optometrist, opened his, up his own business because they weren't hiring black optometrists with the one other um, black man in his program. And uh, he also kind of came up, one of his, um, I guess, uh, best friends kind of from uh, his time growing up in Arkansas uh, was the, his name is John Stroger, he's a former um, Cook County County president, which is a very 
you know, Cook County is the county that oversees uh, Chicago, so kind of a lot of political influence um, here in the city. So my grandfather was very well connected and helped to strategize not only for Don Stroger, but also for Harold Washington, the first black mayor in Chicago. Um, so I was a kid and kind of would come down to their basement and they'd be having like strategizing and organizing meetings. Uh, I had no idea that that was happening. <laughs> I was just running around like a kid, um, but that was all happening at the same time. So that's somewhere where the black mafia stuff comes from. And then the other side is uh, one of my cousins is a professional football player. His name is Larry Fitzgerald and he plays for the Arizona Cardinals. And he's, yeah, I don't know, just a multi-million dollar athlete and uh, <laughs> <laughs> creates an image uh, that we all read from those benefits, which is not at all the case. Uh, we just occasionally get to do some fun vacations <laughs> with him. <laughs> <laughs> So not every black man has that has that story or even that that family foundation to even yeah. know the process. So can you talk to us about what and who kind of inspires you and in what ways are you inspired to still show up as your authentic self? A lot of things inspire me. And I think growing up in the family that I grew up in um, with really high expectations in many ways and navigating society many of us struggle with this feeling of feeling enough. And I think um, with that family dynamic and you know, navigating the world within my Black body, many, many years, um, I struggled with that dynamic. I had to do a lot of, and still am, self-work and internal work to kind of unpack where that came from and the sources and the messages that kind of have left some of those messages so deeply rooted within me. And so where I found freedom and liberation in life um, has been through community and particularly folks who create space for me to do what I call the heart work, to be able to shed some of the performance, to shed some of the mask, um, and just be me um, and all that I am. And so when I get to see and cultivate spaces for um, folks to do that work similarly for themselves or with others, that inspires me. Uh, that gives me pause. That just lights up my life. When I see, I think, youth or students speaking truth to power, just taking the reins of leadership, I think particularly folks at the um, intersection of multiple um, marginalizations. Um, so when I see women of color and queer students of color just grab the world <laughs> like by the horn, so to speak, that just makes me come alive inside uh, to just know that we're doing the right work for them. I was doing uh, facilitating a dialogue this past week with a group of Black students on campus. And, you know, we just have a lot of internal dynamics to our Black community. And so they want to talk about fragmentation in the community and some of the issues that show up around that. You know, Black folks, it was like 30 issues they want to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, let's start with two. Um, <laughs> and, but by the time we, you know, we processed through a lot of things and uh, we were getting to the close of our time together. And uh, one of our first year students came up to me and said, I'd really like to close out on this session on did you have something in mind or on do you mind like if I take some leadership in this and I was like oh god like please you know mm. um I'm so excited to hear that uh you know she got us into a circle of 100 students 100 black students in a, in a circle in this large lecture room she said I'll repeat after me she said I see you and the whole all 100 of these black students said I see you and then she said I love you and then all these students said I love you and then she said, you matter. And all these students said, you matter. 
and I just am getting caught up right now. Aww. Like that's the work that keeps me grounded, that inspires me, that drives my passion. Um, just to know what it's like to cultivate space, to have folks be fully seen and loved, and to know that their presence, their existence is valued and matters. I think that is the work at the core that gives me life. Yeah. And her knowing that others needed to hear that. Yes. 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 Yeah. Uh, You've been involved in social justice education work for a number of years. What advice would you provide to scholar practitioners in the field who wish to remain centered in equity, inclusion, and social change, but may not necessarily operate in spaces dedicated to this type of work? So many thoughts. (laughs) So, like, this is a short podcast. So I think, number one... I think we need to trouble that notion of what spaces are dedicated to this work and what spaces aren't. I think there is an imperative, uh, if we are truly trying to shift paradigms in this work, that we need to realize that it's relevant for everyone and relevant for all factions of, of folks doing work um, within higher education. Um, so I think that's the first thing that, that we can do. I think there are many you know, workspaces or departmental spaces or cultures that would describe themselves as not, you know, quote unquote, uh, doing equity and inclusion work. But I think that's the first place that, you know, we can raise the question, um, why aren't we? What would it look like if we were? Um, How would our processes, our policies, our operations, our hiring, our recruitment look different, feel different, be different? I think that's just a, a ground foundational space that folks can start the conversation. Beyond that, I think we need more folks to start finding and exploring and leaning into the conversation versus leaning out. So in much of the social justice education work that I do, particularly working with practitioners, I often hear this language of students perceive X, Y, and Z about us or uh, we want to do this training because we're not sure how, you know, XYZ minoritized group of students is experiencing our work, our space, our resources. I often kind of push them to a place of how do we start to shift from there's a perception, there's a maybe, to start operating from a place of there's a probably, right? Um, there are ways in which our work is more than likely showing up as oppressive or um, creating mm-hmm. barriers or limiting access, right? Like start from that place. Uh, And if everything's cool, great, right? But I think so often people are resistant to take ownership because we live in this culture of competition and perfectionism and rarely want to have our work be troubled. So I think that's something we could all do. There's been such a drive to kind of push and do assessment work and evaluation work. And I think we often do it in really lazy ways. And I think that, you know, practitioners could, um, one, ask more thoughtful questions, but two, take the extra steps to disaggregate data. I think in the work that I've done outside of kind of direct multicultural affairs or social justice education, much of our assessment work was just assessing quote unquote general populations at predominantly white institutions. And so that's going to create a certain narrative. And I think we really need to trouble when um, folks kind of use dominant or kind of hegemonic forms of assessment practice to say, well, the, the number's too low, or we, we can't, you know, prove that that's statistically significant. There are other tools that are in our toolkit that we can utilize to find out um, what students are experiencing and where we have gaps in our resources. Uh, so I think that's something that we can 
all be doing a little bit differently. And and I th- and I think that's a charge. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a charge to graduate preparation programs, right? Like we're teaching evaluation and assessment in a very oppressive framework. Like no one is really teaching socially mm-hmm. just assessment methodology. Or if, right. or people are not getting an assessment at all in <laughs> preparation programs, but we ain't gonna go there. Um, but what they are learning are very simplistic or basic, um, and most mm-hmm. of it is framed in a very dominant narrative. You know, I think there are multiple systems playing out. There's a, I think, a tidal wave of uh, white supremacy that runs through um, higher education that we really, really need to wrestle with. And not just white folks. I think white folks obviously need to do their work, but I think, you know, our kinfolk, the choir, also need to be doing their work. Um, I need to be doing my work. And I think that's a space where we can all at least operate from a space of of self-reflection and self-work to push the needle around that. I was on a search committee this past quarter and got to see that actually come to life, right? So, you know, I don't expect that folks have arrived. I want to be living in an environment where campus partners working outside of the identity-based offices are starting to raise the question. So, you know, I was on this phone interview. We were interviewing this man of color, uh, named his identities as such on the call. Um, and he was using just vernacular language that was just, you know, a little bit more, I don't know, just comfortable in, I guess, how he was approaching the interview. And I'm sitting on this call, and we're all in the same conference room, and I just see folks around the room just start checking out. And he's saying good things, right? Just the language in which he was using was just landing on folks in a weird way. You know, it's the only one of two people of color on that search committee. And just like one person after one person, like literally putting their pen down uh, and just no longer listening. And so we get to the search committee meeting and I'm just already starting to feel the trigger coming up in me because I just know this conversation is going to be rough. And so the candidate's name, you know, gets brought up and, you know, as we're moving from one candidate to the next. And the first person to speak was a white woman on the committee. And she said, you know, well, you know, this candidate, um, you know, really gave me pause. And I was like, okay, here we go. And then she said, you know, I found myself checking out and I don't think it was about him. I think it was about me. And I just like had this release in my body from her saying that. And then all these other folks who were on the same call started checking in with how were they showing up? How are things landing on them? And then we had this beautiful conversation about bias and how how we listen to candidates and what was informing our lens and what was relevant to the competencies of this position and what was our stuff. And, you know, so I don't need folks to get it and, and not mess up. But the ability to raise the question, I think, helps to, it could help to immensely shift the ways in which emotional labor shows up for minoritized folks. Because I was ready to raise it, right? It also, it, it brings out the highlighter. T- yeah, it brings out yeah. the highlighter. You know, more folks, more campus partners, not in the quote-unquote identity office, whether so it's Multicultural Affairs, the LGBT Center, the Women's Center, et cetera, um, who are able to just ask the question. I think many conversations will look vastly different. I know that there is a question that needs to be asked, right? So we're nearing the end of our time, Rob. And so we have the speed round coming up. We have a small provision Ooh. for you, though. We're going to try something different. Okay. okay, but you still have to think fast and on your feet. All right. Be okay. nervous. <laughs> so I'm we nervous. have we have two different pieces of this today, and we're gonna try it out on you. So real quick, list five people you would allow to enter Beta Delta Kappa, aka Beyonce Delta Knowles, as honorary members. Five people, quick. 
Um, my grandmother, because she's been doing the work for 92 years. Oh, man. Shauna <laughs> Patterson. Um, Quick. I think it's just other heroes I have, because I think that's who needs to be in Beta Delta Kappa. Um, I think about folks like Lloyd Patton Davis. I think about folks like Janelle Monet um, and some of the ways that she has been inspiring me as of late. Um, I don't know, y'all. What's her name in in Black Panther? The 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 youngest Shiri. Yes, that'd be my fifth member. Letitia Wright. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I know her as Shiri. <laughs> okay. All right. Speed round. First thing that comes in your mind: Michigan State or DePaul? DePaul. Cardigans or Sperry's? Cardigans. Hamilton or Black Panther? Ooh. <laughs> Controversial response: Hamilton. Larry Fitzgerald or Walter Payton? Uh, Fitz all day. (laughs) Y'all, Rob is very good friends with my husband. I had him pick out these questions. Oh, did he? That's awkward. Shout out to Charles. Tell Cat Daddy I said what's up. Cat Daddy. (laughs) I certainly will. Um, Thank you again for your time. Tell Ashley we said hello. Tell the dog we said hi. Are y'all doing something special for birthday weekend? Uh, We went to the symphony last night, uh, which was really fun. Dude, y'all so cultured. You know, we try. (laughs) Um, And then tonight we're going out with some friends. uh, So it should be a fun night. Well, we miss Mm -hmm. you. We miss you too. Um, Have a great week. And thank you again for taking a bit of time. I know that you were stretched, but uh, we really appreciate you coming in today and talking to the folks on Scholar T. Of course. Thanks for sharing some tea with me. (laughs) Thanks, Rob. See you soon. Take care. Many of y'all know that we also showed up at the American Educational Research Association, and so we're calling this the AERA Conference Edition. And this year, over 17,000 educators attended the AERA Conference in New York City to discuss the dreams, possibilities, and necessity of public education. Well, I was hella busy, and I didn't get the chance to do all the things while I was there, but I did connect with a few dope folks who were willing to share their thoughts. Take a listen. I'm a Cy Stokes. I'm a first-year PhD student at USC. I'm from the Bay, but uh, I've been living in L.A. for a little bit, so, yeah. I'm just enjoying my time. Uh, I'm trying to go to as many of my friends' presentations as possible, just so I can support them. I've looked on the list at a lot of different ones that I could potentially go to, but I'm really just here to support uh, all my friends who actually are doing the work, <laughs> so. This is my first one. I'm only here till tomorrow night, so I'm just a real short trip, but hopefully I can get to as many as I can, so kind of just free, like freelancing it, just uh, different perspectives of what I've already read. Um, so if I know of an author that I've, you know, not necessarily had problems with, but uh, within their work I've saw, you know, some pretty big gaps, uh, I might go and see what their justifications are, um, or if they even have any at all, or if they notice, um, that might be, be interesting to see. Um, just like writing countless lit reviews in grad school kind of just puts them in that zone where you're just constantly looking for errors. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to encounter one of those. So. What's your favorite color? 
whatever the Warriors are. So whatever the whatever jersey colors, they switch. So it could be yellow some days, blue some days. You know, saying like depends on what they're wearing. So oh, um, just it might be the Golden State Warriors. You know, NBA champions, but whatever. You know. <laughs> All right, and you are Erica Rowland, uh, a PhD student at the University of South Florida. Feeling tired but ready to work. Dissertations on how faculty um, engage doctoral students around social justice issues. Um, I do have a fellowship at the University of Texas in Austin in the Department of Higher Education. Working on my research on social justice teaching and learning. Favorite things about AARA so far? Uh, the connection with scholars that I read. Um, also, it's been soul feeding and also just the opportunity to reflect. And if you had any advice for people that are trying to walk in your shoes, what would that be? Uh, don't walk in my shoes, have your own shoes because it's worth walking in. And if they need advice, what would you say on top of that? Call your mama. Hey, I'm with it. Okay. And shout outs for the day. Who do you want to shout out? I uh, want to shout out to Vonzel Augusto, Tanisha Lang, uh, DJ Carl Roberts, and Zorka Karanja. Jackie Mack. Um, I'm a second-year doctoral student at Indiana University studying higher education. I am a native Chicagoan. I identify as an Asian-American woman, specifically Southeast Asian-American. I'm also the proud uh, dog mom for a wonderful, beautiful shepherd husky rescue named London. And I think I'm still working through this identification of, like, scholar, practitioner, activist. Like, is it all three? Is it what's the order like? I don't know. I'm still working through some of that. I've been this amazing group of Southeast Asian American women, and we have a collective name um, called Seaster Scholars, so it's Southeast Asian Americans, S-A-E-E, Seasters Scholars um, Collective. We're a collective of, currently, we're all doctoral students, but there's one who's really close to finishing, um, and the, the group formed in a really cool way. They kind of all found each other at a conference and realized that they weren't the only ones. And they've been so wonderful to invite me into that space in the last two years. And it's been such a wonderful way of connecting across time zones and across states um, to really support each other in our kind of first generation women of color, Southeast Asian American women experiences. Because it's, it's one of the few spaces where I can have conversations and I don't feel like I need to explain myself and people just get it. Us being here is part of disrupting the academy. JT Snipes. I am black and excited to be here. I work for the Interfaith Youth Corps as assessment and research manager. I am newly minted faculty at SIU Edwardsville, Southern Illinois University for the folks at home, tenure track professor in the School of Education. I went to my first AERA in 2013. So this would be my fourth because I missed one. I study black atheists currently, but black student experiences writ large and also religion, spirituality, and interfaith in higher education. I, I love this conference. I love the energy of it. I love how many people are doing exciting and creative work. It is at times overwhelming, but it's also beautiful. I see so many... I love black people, so seeing black faces in the space doing such amazing, innovative work is inspiring for me, so I love it. I think it's good to just have support, to know people can see my work and appreciate it uh, and push me further methodologically. It, to me, I think a lot about pedagogies of the home, so like how, do we, how are we bringing these things back to our own communities? It's just exciting for me. So cool, right? 
My hope in the future is that folks trust us with their stories. We understand the political nature of this field and are sincere in our efforts to keep high impact stories safe. We aim to uplift underrepresented folks in the academy on an interdisciplinary level because it is quite difficult to identify many sources that truly reflect diverse voices. AERA was a bittersweet experience and continues to be one of my favorite spaces to spend time. And we look forward to seeing y'all at Encore. Love seeing y'all on them conference streets. Mm-hmm. Are you going to Encore? I'm not. Oh, man. I know. All the people. I know. Will you go next year? Maybe. Let's make plans. <laughs> and thinking about making plans and preparing for conferences, we all know it's ash season. The Association for the Study of Higher Education is convening in Tampa, November 2018. How many of y'all are scrambling and won't be submitting proposals until the 11th hour on May 4th? Even though you said you were not going to do that. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, so I was talking to a friend about this the other day. She said, maybe you should set internal deadlines for yourself. Like maybe you should make them do March in March for yourself. So that way you're not waiting until the end of the semester to try to deal with the end of the semester. I mean, I set internal deadlines anyway and still. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, this year, not the kid. So this is actually the first time I've submitted anything prior to the day proposals were due, and I'm feeling great. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, we only have one more to submit mm-hmm. together, uh, you and I, and then one with Tanisha et al. It's a great feeling. Yeah. So I have something on the day it's due, like that it's all day. So what I'm excited about is I know I have to get it done <gasps> at least the day before because I know I can't do it the last day. Mm. So then that way, but I'm sure not trying to wait till that day. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I'm, I'm excited. And, and we are going to get to talk to Dr. Lori Patton Davis in a future episode. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that. So well. y'all tune in about that one. We will be talking about a whole bunch of things including ash yeah i'm excited stay woke. first black woman president of the association for the study of higher education it's all connected beachella Lori patton davis Don't y'all look, little theme here uh-huh. also just please don't forget to volunteer as a proposal reviewer program chair and or discussant there wouldn't be a conference if these roles weren't accounted for and frankly i'm not in the mood to review more than 25 proposals this year i'm on the program committee and i'll be assigning reviewers <laughs> If I could get a, a cool 20, that would be nice. <laughs> Depends on what de- what um, section you decided to review for. You know I did it for the people. So we'll <laughs> see what happens. And remember to show some love to CEP and pre-register for the Council on Ethnic Participation segment of ASH and work with us to advance the goals of the field. And finally, visit us on Facebook at Scholar T and vote. Should we host a live session at ASH? Would you come and support? Let us know what you think. It could be fun, people. So what's problematic? Ooh, my goodness. This is So this one is on my heart because it just kept coming up this semester. Mm. Not necessarily towards me, but I just saw it with other people. And so what's problematic? The problematic tea this week is unsolicited professional or personal advice. Uh, Are you familiar with this? Um, no, because I'm not a friendly person. Okay. So that means people don't do it to you? Mm, not really, no. Do you do it to others? I try not to. Maybe I'm one of those people. I don't think so. Let's see. For me, what I've seen a lot is giving me career advice or me general. Me could be you. But giving me career advice on my career when you are not in the same career path as me. Not equally yoked. Oof. (laughs) Right? So like like people giving advice to a faculty member, right? You need to be publishing and you need to be publishing in these journals. And then I look at your CV and I'm like, okay. I don't see the journals that you're giving me advice to be publishing it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. 
not saying that like you can't take advice from people or people can't be helpful. The other one is don't take that job because you're not ready for that type of work. I've heard that advice given to people. First of all, who asked you? (sighs) Second of all, you ain't ready for that type of work either. Or probably, right? The other thing I've been getting is like personal dating advice. (laughs) I'm speechless. (laughs) Either their relationship is toxic or they just got out of a toxic relationship or they ain't got nobody to be giving me some dating advice, right? Or their stuff is all in the streets. Ooh. Ooh. Oop. So they'll be like, oh, you need to be dating this type of person. And I'm like, mm, when did you become Dr. Phil? Or you need to change this about you in order for you to be be able to get a partner. Changing? Oh, yes. Mm. The, people, the peoples will come with trying to tell you what you need to change about yourself in order to uh, meet somebody else where they are. Mm-mm. Well, I think with the professional advice, I hope, and y'all correct me, seriously, if I'm not doing this the right way. I I usually try to keep my thoughts to myself unless it's like giving advice at a conference. Mm -hmm. But I try to keep my opinions and my thoughts to myself because I think that everyone's situation is unique. If anything else, I'm fighting for people to think differently about approaches to the pathways that they're trying to reach and take advantage of. Mm -hmm. Um, So if nothing else, I might be the person that would be in your corner to give out of the box kind of thinking and advice in terms of how to get from point A to point Z. Uh, But when it comes to people giving inappropriate or incorrect advice, I think it's okay to ask them to step off, right? In a a nice way, you know, use your tactfulness, your, what is it, niceness. But I I just, I don't understand where people, I don't understand people's approach or opinions when it comes to trying to give advice when they aren't accepting it or taking it themselves. Mm. And it shows, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The best revenge is your paper. (laughs) I'm wearing that t-shirt today, (laughs) people. The best revenge is your paper and also... To use Cam's term, your receipts and the it ain't my term, but I overuse it. You use it more than me, but so giving you credit to that because I'm citing you. Um, (laughs) But but I'm shade. (laughs) Those things show up, like you said, on your CV, on your resume, in your career trajectory, and I think it's okay for someone that has good advice to give that advice, regardless of where they are in in their career. Okay. But if it's unsolicited and it is not necessarily advice that's going to be helpful or productive, then step off. The last issue that I have is people who are giving friends advice but not friends, they're familiar, right? We're not friends, but we're familiar. Mm. Um, that's I took that line from Crystal from The Read. Just because I see you a couple times, we kikied at a conference, we're familiar. We're not friends. And I don't need your unsolicited advice. So, okay, Hmm. My question for that, though, if they feel familiar, then wouldn't they be familiar with you? You know, giving you're advice. familiar enough. We're not friends enough for um, you to be giving friend advice. OK, so like giving friend level advice right. to someone who you're faintly familiar with. Right. Got it. I don't I don't talk to people like that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hey, how are you? Hey, good to see you. <laughs> good to be seen. <laughs> Shout out to Dr. McEldery. <laughs> I miss him. But I just, I don't know about that. Well, it kind of catches me off guard because mm-hmm. I'm like, because I'm thinking, then I'm in my head at that point as you're giving me the unsolicited advice. I'm thinking, what signals have I given off that we this cool, mm. that you should be this comfortable? You should make that face. Oh, I wonder if I do. I, I might know. make it. I know it would come out on my face right away. <laughs> so I think people would just stop saying it. Yeah. How do y'all navigate that? Holler at us. 
Are you out here giving unsolicited advice? Are you receiving unsolicited advice? How do you shut unsolicited advice down? ScholarT2018 at gmail.com. And that is what is problematic this week. All right. So we got some jokes. You got some jokes. I got jokes. (laughs) I always got jokes. So again, the goal is to get Cam to laugh at all of them. Are you ready? Okay. Let's, Let's go. What kind of music do planets like? What kind? Neptunes. Ugh. It's a little dated. It's Where the Neptunes at? Find them. They just actually came out with another they album. They did. They did. They did. Find them. Mm, <laughs> and I can't remember what it's called, though, so I guess that's a thing. Okay. How do you tell if a vampire is sick? How? By how much he is coughing. <laughs> that one's bad. It was pretty bad. I didn't even laugh. Not really. I was interrogated over the theft of a cheesy toasty. Man, they really grilled me. (laughs) Can February, March? No, but April, May. (laughs) You got some laughs. I'm sure you did. No, you did. Can February, March? No, but April, May. I have to say it twice for the people in the back. And the way you say it, it's it's it's, it's wonderful theater reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> why can't you hear a pterodactyl go to the bathroom? Why? Because the pee is silent. <laughs> <laughs> I win. <laughs> that was cute. So, uh, many congratulations to Dr. Laura Oubre, who will become Whittier College's 15th president in July. Shout out, Madam President. Madam President. The P is silent. (laughs) (laughs) Warsan Shire wrote, you are terrifying and strange and beautiful, something not everyone knows how to love. I think we are in a pivotal moment in society and in history where we can ignore what's happening around us or we can be bold and demonstrate radical self-love and preservation. You are beautiful and worthy of love, even if our policies, procedures, systems, infrastructures, and sometimes our own communities fail to demonstrate the myriad ways you are worthy of love. Please don't fold into yourself. Shine in this world and give others permission to shine alongside you. You gave these people a word today. Thank you. On today. On today. All right, y'all. Have a wonderful week. See y'all next week on the Scholar Tea. 